Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. I hope everyone is having a wonderful Monday. Yes, the weekend's over. It's back to work. I know it sucks, but you will make it, I promise, and you got another weekend coming around soon. Uh, I am not going to be doing a members-only show tonight. It is my daughter's, my my 16, now 17-year-old daughter's birthday, Uh, so we're going to do the show, and then I'm going to get up there and see if we can't uh, spend a little time together. You guys know how it is. Uh, It's a madhouse here, and there's a birthday every week, it feels like, truly, but I I do enjoy spending them with the kids. Uh, we got a great show for you guys tonight, of course, but let's start off with some sponsors. we got Top Lops. Com, the man, the myth, the legend, my good friend and partner on Break the Cycle, where you can get this great Dr. Ron Paul for Congress 1974 shirt that you see me wearing today uh, by using BTC at checkout for a 10% discount, or you can join the Patreon, subscribe star, or become a member of this here YouTube channel under all of my videos by hitting the join link uh, for about five bucks a month. You can get into the private Discord server where you can get all of Top Lobster's new gear, hand-drawn, awesome stuff, hats, backpacks, hoodies, shirts, all that stuff, uh, up to two weeks before it goes to the general public at a 30% discount. Big discount, really makes a difference. If you're doing a small uh, monthly contribution to the show, it really pays for itself if you're buying Top Lobster gear. Absolutely. And of course, executive producers of the show, AnthemPlanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check them out today, see what they can do for your business, home, or personal life. They are doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at much cheaper and much more efficiently. Seriously, if you own a business... Go check them out as soon as the show's over, anthemplanning.com. They're going to make your life easier. I promise you, uh, it's worth it. And they finally got some business for my show. Uh, they were telling me when I had Amy Lepore on last week that they finally got some business for my show. And that makes me really happy. You know, you guys are doing doing great work. It, you know, it, it benefits me. It benefits them. It benefits you. It's it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, so, guys, like I said, we got a great show for you tonight. I have been excited about show. You guys know how excited I get about doing my show. It's like my one time away from my family and my work and all that stuff. And I get really excited about ha- hanging out with all these great people. I've had uh, NBA champions on the show and actors and all kinds of great stuff. But this show really is probably one of the most exciting shows for me ever. Um, we've all seen the clip of uh, Gary Plache doing, uh, you know, uh, exacting his revenge on the man who uh, hurt his child. Uh, Many of us who are fathers probably feel like we would do the same thing uh, if faced with that situation. I know as somebody who's raising, um, you know, five girls and two boys, I would uh, also feel like doing something like that. But it got me to thinking after seeing this clip so many times over, over the years, uh, you know, there's a story behind that. You know, there's the, there's Gary and there's Jody and there's, you know, this, 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 horrible person and something happened there and all we see is this clip so I started I started digging I started getting into things uh, and I found Jody and I started uh, I started reading about him I started reading about his life and you know in a lot of situations like this uh, you know including some some of my own personal stuff that's happened to me uh, things have happened to friends and family members uh, it doesn't always turn out very positive you know and uh, I saw that Jody was uh, uh, using his pain to uh, exact positivity around the country and uh, be an advocate for victims. In fact, he uh, he did time on the uh, Men Against Sexual Violence Committee, and in 2004, he was named the Survivor Activist of the Year. Uh, he is the author of the book Why Gary Why that chronicles all this stuff, including his father and the abuse and the kidnapping and everything. He is Mr. Jo- Jody Plache. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Like I said, uh, before we started the show, man, I really appreciate you coming on and taking time uh, to hang out with us. It really means a ton to me. Um, so you got this book, Why Gary? Why? You know, you 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 were the kid in the 80s that, uh, you know, we saw in the news. You were all over. I, you were in like Teen Beat Magazine and everything. I mean, it had to be I think crazy. It was, I think it was Star Magazine. I don't, I don't think I was quite Teen Beat okay, material. Okay, okay, Star Magazine. It was more tabloid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it, it had to be insane. You were 11 years old at the time, and uh, it had to be just absolutely, you know, you got, you're dealing with this, this painful situation. Now you're all over the news. You know, your dad's all over the news. I mean, let's take it back a little bit, though. So, you started a karate class. And when I was in fifth grade, fifth grade, how, I mean, and, and what happened from there, man? I mean, you know, how did this, this terrible situation start? Um, well, when we started taking karate from Jeff Doucette, he, uh, explained to us that he had like a fighting team. They would put a competitive fighting team. They would fight in tournaments in Houston, in new Orleans. Um, kind of like, kind of like the karate kid. And after a few 
I guess probably months of, you know, working out, Jeff was like, Hey, you know, your kids got potential telling my parents, you know, your kids got potential. They should consider fighting in the tournaments with us. And so the initial trip to Houston, I didn't go. It was probably March of 1983. I had an all-star basketball tournament. So I, me and my dad stayed back and my little brother, my older brother went to Houston to a karate tournament and they, when they came back they just talked about how awesome the fights were the black belts they hit in the face and they went to Astroworld they went to a ball and it just sounded like a great trip so the next time they went to Houston my dad came um, so we all went and so it just it was just Jeff uh, he slowly groomed my family to where we would trust him and so after several months of you know getting kind of close that's when he started to actually move in with the sexual stuff and it was all at the beginning it was all uh, nonchalant, something that he could have joked or, or could have said it was an accident in case I would have responded negatively. But I guess I respond. I had the reaction of being quiet and shutting down, and that's a, the re- reaction he was looking for. And so he started. Uh, it was on a trip in Houston. He told me, "Claire," and in the van in front of all the kids. I mean, it's like twelve kids in the van, and he whispers in my ear that he was going to perform oral sex on me that night. Now I'm at this time I'm ten years old, so I don't sure. know why. He I don't know why he would want to do that. Like, I mean, that's an insult. We would tell people, Hey, you know what? Eh, you know? So, uh, everyone went to bed at night and he went under the covers. And so, uh, that was April. So for the next month, he kind of would perform oral sex on me. And then next month in May is when he actually said, now I'm going to have sex with you. He didn't quite put it like that, but, and so then pretty much every day for the leading up to the kidnapping, he would perform oral sex on me and then he'd have sex with me. And then that would be it. Yeah, I mean, it's just just terrible, terrible shit. I, I can't imagine, you know, I, I have my own stories, nothing like that. I mean, nothing like that. But, um, I mean, I, I, a lot of people don't understand that it, this, this isn't something that just happens. I mean, people, you know, they don't, they don't just one day say, hey, I'm going to do this. It's, there's, there's this grooming phase, right? Oh, they put an investment into it. I mean, it's a time-committed investment uh, grooming the kid and the parents and the family members and everybody in the, the karate school. Uh, everybody thought this guy was a wonderful person. And it turns out he was one of the biggest pieces of shit ever. Sorry, sure. I hope I can say that. No, absolutely. This is this is not a family friendly sh- uh, family show. I, I hope that I hope that most people don't have their children watch the show. Uh, I cuss all the time and stuff too, so it's totally cool. And and uh, you know, for for this is probably some trigger warning here. You know, th- this this conversation is probably going to be hard for some people who have faced abuse themselves. So now, now see, I don't have kids, but I would say get the kids in the room, let them listen. Sure. Oh, this I mean, one, yeah, this <laughs> show, absolutely, yeah, you know. yeah. Show, show it to them and have a discussion with them. Now, yeah. again, if they're, you know, four or five, you don't want to. But, I mean, sure. if they're eight, nine, ten years old, you know, let them, let them listen. I mean, if I could experience it and be okay, I'm sure they can hear it and be all right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, you, you got to this, you got to this point where, you know, you're being repeatedly abused. Um, it's, it's horrible. I'm sure it was horrible for you. I, I don't, I, we don't have to get into the, the psyche of it. I'm sure as an 11 year old kid, you're terrified. Um, I mean, what, what, what led up to this, this kidnapping? I mean, did, was there some kind of, uh, you know, thoughts that he was going to be caught? I mean, how, how did that go? All right, so in the summer of 83, Jeff came up with this idea to sell these LSU mugs, these commemorative mugs, but again, not taking into consideration you need LSU's licensing rights to do it. You can't just go print mugs up and sell them, but that's what he did. And uh, so he lost some money there, and then he came up with this idea for a bandana like the Pittsburgh Terrible Towel, but it was going to be called an LSU Tiger Rag. And I actually still have one. I mean, but uh, my sister got it for me on eBay years later. But uh, he owed the guy who owned a convenience store. He owned several convenience stores around the area and he owed him the second shipment of the bandanas. He had ordered like, let's say 10,000 bandanas and Jeff never delivered the bandanas. And so the guy wanted the 10,000. He gave Jeff up front for the first half of the bandanas. He wanted his money back or the bandanas and Jeff had neither. And so that was him leaving. Colin. That's that was him leaving. Uh, Baton Rouge, so to go to avoid paying money, and he probably was gonna, he probably would have went to jail. He probably would have gotten sent to some fine and probation for you know writing bad checks because that's what he did that he did that as well. So the the wall was coming down on him, and he was just leaving town to avoid prosecution. And he just I was, since I was his love interest for the past year, he just decided he was gonna take me with him. That's wild, man. And and I mean, you know, at this point, I'm sure you're. 
I can only imagine where, where your brain was at. But I mean, what what was going through your head as as you're being taken? I mean, you 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 knew it was wrong. I mean, I've heard you I've heard you talk in other interviews. You knew it was wrong and stuff like that. But right, I, I knew that he was going to get in trouble for for taking me. But I also knew I didn't really have much of a choice. I I didn't feel like I was in a position to tell him no, and so I just went along with it. Sure. Sure, absolutely. So, so you, you chronicle a lot of the stuff. I mean, and and listen, if you're going to buy the book, you should buy the book "Why Gary Why," uh, written by Jody. And and uh, but you, I mean, you chronicle you chronicle a lot of the stuff in the book. I do. I chronicle it, and I also, uh, when I graduated from LSU, I, I got a job up in Pennsylvania working at a place called Victim Services Center of Montgomery County, which is just outside of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I worked there for seven years uh, doing education programs, safety education, prevention, risk reduction programs. So there's a lot of that seven years of experience as working a crisis hotline, you know, answering phone calls. So I took all my experience, uh, personal, professional and educational, and I've tried to put it all together. And I think I came up with a book with a lot of good information that tells a tells a compelling story and is entertaining. If you go read one of uh, <clears throat> the comments on the Amazon um, someone said that this book is funny, like not what you're expecting here, but sure. this book is funny. And so <clears throat> I, I meant it to be that way. I, I wanted to reflect my personality and in a way, my dad's personality, cause we were very similar. And I think we were able to portray that. And it's got a lot of really, really good information for parents. Sure. Yeah. That, well. And that's what I, you know, that's, that's what I would want to talk about with, with the people that are watching. I mean, it's, it, it's very informational. It's got a lot of insight for victims, especially. Uh, it's got some humor in it. It's got some really heartfelt family stuff in it too, which I thought was was great to you know get to know more about you and your family, your mom and dad, and uh, your, even your grandparents and and being picked up by them and stuff. But um, you know, I think I, I, for most people uh, who know anything about the story or even have just seen the news clip, I mean, Gary is the, always the focal point, right, when it comes to a lot of this stuff, especially now. Um, how was your relationship with your dad? Um, he died in 2014, but I mean, my relationship was great with him. I mean, we were fine. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And and I know you grew up between homes for a while and stuff like that, right? Uh, no, my parents were separated, uh, in the summer of 83, but after the shooting, they got back together in the spring of 84, but no, I didn't, I I wasn't in no homes. My, my dad went and lived with his parents. And my, my mother and the four kids stayed at the house. Sure, sure. And and so I mean, okay. So you, you don't want to tell. The only, th- the only time I went to the home was when they arrested Jeff in California. They took me to the police station, the hospital. Then they took me to like this uh, neglected child home facility where I stayed for a day, and then I flew home. And then you fl- and then you and that was the flight home, and and you had to come home and and see your parents. I mean, what's going through your head as you're you're coming back to your parents? Um, I really don't even know what I was thinking. I was just glad to be back home, really. And I get off the plane, and when I do, now I see my parents, and I see John Pasterek and a cameraman. John Pasterek still works to this day for WBRZ um, to cover my return home from being kidnapped. And it was 6 o'clock in the morning. I just left California at like 1.10 in the morning, and I just woken up. I slept. It's the only time I've ever still slept on a flight. But I slept all the way home because I had a window seat and it was dark and I couldn't see nothing. And uh, I, I was not too pleased to see a television camera there whenever <laughs> I, I got to the airport. And at one point, my mother hugged me and she whispers in my ear, like, smile. She's like, smile. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, what are they doing here? And she's like, your dad called him, smile. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, and then he puts the camera in my face. Like, you know, what do you think about all this? I'm like, I don't know. Like, what are you doing here? You're like, I'm 11, dude. And I just went through like the worst experience of my life. Can you leave me <laughs> yeah, just got, alone? <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's so bad now. They don't even name victims. But back then, they're like at the airport. But in, in their defense, and my parents' defense, it just goes to show you how naive they were. Um, <clears throat> the hospital report had not came back yet positive. Sure. And I was still denying that Jeff had done anything to me. So my dad didn't know not to call the news. I mean, he had worked at that TV station for uh, uh, when he was in college or when he was younger and uh so he knew a lot of the people he would bowl with them i mean i went to uh bowling games when they would bowl like on wednesday nights <clears throat> and i he was with all the uh off camera people all the because he was a cameraman sure. and so he still was friends with all those people so uh, that's how the camera eventually ended up at the airport the night that jeff Doucette was returned because they were doing a follow-up to my return, which was two weeks earlier. Right. That's why I wasn't at the airport, and that's why Daddy was able to be at the Baton Rouge airport. So they were just doing a follow-up story, and boom, they got 
pretty much their lead story for the next year and a half. Oh yeah. And I mean, it still, it still makes the rounds every time you see a meme or anything like that. I mean, you know, uh, there's well, a, every three weeks on Facebook, someone will tag me and they're talking about it on another site and it's getting, you know, 250,000 likes. And I mean, it's just amazing. Sure. Absolutely. And, and so <clears throat> let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what's So, so you're telling your dad and, and, uh, you know, uh, as a father, I, you know, I, I would like to think that that's probably the same thing that I would do. I mean, I don't, I don't think I could let somebody who harmed my child make it to court, uh, let alone through the airport. Well, but I mean, well, let, but let me ask you this question. Yeah. <clears throat> What's how many kids you got? Seven. Okay. So think about those seven kids. Yeah. <clears throat> Are you willing to go to jail for the rest of, for 20 years right. and not be around them? So uh, I let people know my dad put himself in a position to be prosecuted. Right. I mean, my dad very well could have gone to jail for 20 years. He got very, oh, he got very, very lucky on the, on the, I mean, very lucky. Exactly. So I tell parents, be there for your child. Yeah. And I, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if people know that. I mean, he got, he, he didn't do a day of, of, of jail time for that. Right. Well, he shot him on a Friday night and he couldn't post bail till Monday morning. Monday morning. Then and once he posted bail Monday morning, he went to a psych facility for about three weeks to a month and then he came back home and that was it. And he, he had like a, he, he was on probation and, and a suspended sentence or something like that, right? They suspended the sentence. He was on probation for uh, five years and he had to do 300 hours of community service. And I like to tell people he had to do 300 hours of more community service because he already did the community service. Yeah, he but- already did the community, a very big service. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, and I, I t- I've been talking about this show uh, quite a bit on my shows leading up to this one. And, <clears throat> and I say, I say the same thing every time I don't like take pleasure in watching people die. Uh, but that's one of those clips, man. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't make me so, so upset. Have you ever seen an unedited clip? I don't, is there, is there an unedited clip? Do is there? <laughs> All right. So my, my older brother doesn't know I'm on the phone. Um, and, or we're doing an interview sure. and he keeps calling me cause he wants to talk about the Peyton Manning and, and Eli, uh, game can, can, can i can I, can I go tell my mother to call him and tell him to stop calling me yeah absolutely please can do you, yeah, do do you do like a quick, quick promo and then let up uh, like <laughs> hey we're, we're we got brothers talking football man you know that's you know that's good hey listen my brother does that all the time during the show too he calls me about football he always wants to talk about his 49ers i'm not a 49ers fan but i grew up in the bay so i get it i understand it um, this is uh, a Mike Ravel. This is hard stuff to listen to, man. I know, I know it is. And the book, there's parts of the book uh, that are very, very hard to read too. But I mean, it's 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 parts that you need to read for sure. Um, uh, definitely check it out. Go order the book if you can. Call Why Gary Why. Um, hey, man, my brother and I call each other about football all the time too, bro. Well, <laughs> I mean, normally we probably be on the phone watching it together, but I'm, I have the interview, so I have my TV on pause, and he keeps calling me because I'm sure. Peyton said something funny, but I mean, I'll have to watch it later and catch up with him at half. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, I'm a Cowboys fan and my brother's a Niners fan. So we, most of uh, ours are fights. So did, wait, so did I give it, so you saw that I'm wearing shorts, right? See, I thought, I thought I'd, I'd you know, hide everything, put on a collared shirt and, but look what I got. I'm sure you this. I got shorts on Check. too, man. Look, can you see what I got? Oh on yeah, there we go. You're wait, you're wearing a Saints polo and a Cowboys, Cowboys shorts. But these are legit, authentic, 100% Dallas Cowboy football player-issued uh, shorts. Oh, nice. My, my cousin's married to Nick Folk, who's the kicker for the New England Patriots. And yeah. he kicked for the Cowboys yep. for a while. And he had a bag of, you know, old cleats and old uh, shorts and stuff. And so I took me my little Jerry Jones bought shorts and this is kind of like my lounge clothes so every every day when i come home i put my dallas cowboys shorts on or my lsu shorts on and that's it now i'm not a cowboys fan and i actually if you when you get to the end go read the last three chapters because i do talk about the cowboys because i lived in valley ranch right across the street where they practiced that for two years i'd see them every day yeah. like i i would see them every day i'd hang out with charles haley and it was so i don't want to say uh hold on now we got some issues going on right here <laughs> No, so my mother likes to tape 900 shows, Sure. okay? So if I'm in the back watching a show and I put it on pause and my little brother is across the street, so I go across the street to see my little brother, I go spend 20 minutes with him, I'll come back and if, this, if too many shows are set to record, 
it'll flip my channel and, start and go to what she wanted. And I'm sitting here with my TV on pause, and I just thought it said record or don't record. No, no, I get I get one channel. That's you're, you're messing up my football, mom. Come on, I get, I get one channel. I get one channel. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, you're from you're from uh, Louisiana originally, though, right? Yeah, I'm from Baton Rouge. Is a board born in Baton Rouge, and I live here right now. Nice. I've lived three years in Irvin, Texas, and I live seven years in, in, Pennsylvania. in Pennsylvania. The other rest of the, the rest of the time, I've been here. And you went to you went to school in Pennsylvania, right? No, I went to school in Irving, Texas. Oh, it was Texas that you went to school. That's right. Yeah, when I gra- then I came back to LSU and graduated, and it was after that I moved back to Irving for another year, and then in '98 I moved to Pennsylvania to 2005. Sure, sure. Okay, so let's let's get back to talking uh, about the right. the Gary situation, the unedited version. I've, yeah, have you seen? Yes, it? yes. No, I, I I mean I've only seen what's online. That's all I've ever seen. Can you can you broadcast from your computer like what you're watching if you, if you could pull it up and so your people can watch it together? Oh, I can't I can't on on this channel. You can't do that. Okay. No, on this okay. channel, unfortunately, they'll shut they'll shut me down for that shit on this channel because I'm not I don't have like okay. the, the certain privileges to play like death and stuff. Okay. Um, if you go to but all right, so if anybody watching, go to my website jodyploche.net and there's a video link and and in there I have the unedited video where it's just the raw footage and that's where the cameraman about one minute and four seconds after. After he started filming and this is about 50 seconds after the shooting he you can see him change the tape you can see where the, the tape kind of fizzles and he he took out the tape of the shooting and put in another tape that way if the cops wanted that tape he was going to give them the extra footage and he was going to take the shooting home to, to the news oh yeah i mean i'm sure that he was i'm sure he got big time paid for that shit big time uh, i hope so and and, and it's crazy you know God bless his soul. He, he, you know, usually when a gun goes off, you want to run, man. That man did not run. <laughs> he, he zoomed in. He zoomed in. He got the whole thing. It was great. I mean, God bless him. But, uh, I mean, what was, what were the events like leading up to that day? I mean, uh, with your dad, I mean, was he just an absolute wreck or what? Well, he was, um, like I said, I, so he worked for WBRZ channel two here in Baton Rouge. It's a local ABC affiliate. And he also happened to drink at a restaurant, which was about less than a half a mile club, from, right? yes, the Cotton Club. Yeah. And so, again, he he knew him, he drank with him, and he was at the bar that Friday. And they asked him, they said, you know, when are they bringing your boy Doucette back? And, and Daddy said, well, I think he's back already. He goes, but they're not going to tell me. Yeah, of course. And the guy goes, no, and then the program director's name was Bob Shadell. He said, uh, oh, no, no, he's not back yet. I'll go find out. So he went and called, and he said, hey, he'll be back in uh, scheduled at 9.08 tonight. And so my dad had that information. And my grandparents came to pick us up that afternoon and took us out to False River, which is about 45 minutes away. It's a lake. Um, it's an oxbow lake from Mississippi River, but it's, you know, it's a nice little it's a nice little area. And um, we were out there, and that's where we went when Daddy had us on the weekends. This was Daddy's weekend to have us. But having that information, he drove all the way out to the river. He made it about three miles from the camp. And he turned around and he drove back out to the airport. And that's when he saw the TV cameras. And that's why he went and got on the phone. So he figured that he'd walk by the TV cameras and he'd get him, get him then. But then Mike Barnett comes out. He's the, uh, he was a major with the sheriff's department. Mm-hmm. He was like, uh, they, my, my dad went to middle, middle school with him, high school with him. He, uh, and my mom dated for nine months before my mother even knew my dad. So the first person she called when I was kidnapped was Mike Barnett. Cause he worked for the sheriff's office and Mike Barnett comes walking out and you can see him turn around back to the camera and wave, Jeff and Bud, all right, it's clear because there were people who had lined up behind the camera to see, oh, what's going on here? And Mike Barnett told me, and this is probably earlier this year, he told me, he goes, I'm sitting there, and he goes, I'm walking. He goes, I'm hungover. He goes, me and Bud stayed up all night drinking the night before. We're walking through the Baton Rouge airport. He said, they got these people behind the camera. I'm sitting there looking, and I'm thinking, they're wondering, you know, who's coming around the corner. And it's, he said, it's two drunks and a child molester. <laughs> and then he said, by the time that thought hit his head, he heard bam. And that's when he turned around and saw my dad standing there. And that's when he yelled, you know, Gary, why, why Gary? And he ran over and he actually shielded my dad right. from Bud Connor, the other police officer, because Bud would have shot my dad if, if Mike hadn't done that. True. Well, and, and let's be honest, your dad had amazing muzzle control. There's, there's no doubt about that. It was really perfect. Uh, but I, I also uh, read a little bit about his phone. He was actually having a phone conversation during this. Yes, he was talking to his best friend. And and what what was he what was he saying to him? Um, at first, he saw Mike Barnett, and he told his friend, "Oh, they must have taken him out a different way. I don't see him." 
because Mike was there. And then Mike gave the signal to come on. And then the camera lights came on. Well, when the camera lights came on, that's when my dad knew he was coming. That's when he reached in his boot. And if you look at his right pant leg, you'll see it's lifted. He reached in his boot and he was telling, he was describing the scene to his, his best friend. He said, I'm getting a, a, the gun out of my boot. He said, uh, you're going to hear the shot. And he turned around and shot him. And then he turned around and hung up the phone. Wild man. Yeah. So he hung up the phone and didn't, he wasn't trying to shoot no more. He, he knew he did the job. I think, I think he knew right away probably, but what, I mean, what were your feelings on this? I, you know, I have, you know, as someone who's abused as a child, uh, I, you know, I want to, I want to say that like, I would be happy, but I mean, you had all kinds of different feelings going on. I'm sure. I mean, what, what were you thinking about it? Well, okay. Obviously I didn't want Jeff to be blessing me. I right. was happy that that was going to happen. I actually was looking forward to Jeff spending the rest of his life in a penitentiary. Sure. That's what, what I wanted. And even to this day, I still think I would have better satisfaction. I don't know. Uh, I think I probably still have better satisfaction if he was in prison. He probably wouldn't have lasted this long. No. But, uh, no, huh? uh, you know, but then again, how many millions of people have watched his death on YouTube? So, I mean, if the punishment fits the crime i think it's pretty appropriate i mean it, it does provide a lot of joy to fathers around the country and maybe the world but you I, I every couple of days i'll go type in my dad's name in twitter and just i mean people are constantly bringing him up where's gary ploche when you need him we need gary ploche someone put yesterday uh paging gary ploche gary ploche please pick up the white phone and i actually commented back on that one and i said don't you mean the payphone?" <laughs> <laughs> That's that was great. I you know I I think my favorite uh my favorite Gary Ploche meme is definitely the uh, we can't expect God to do all the work. Uh, that was that's my favorite one. I love it to death. Uh, you know, I, you know I, I I can't I can't imagine what it would be like as an eleven year old to see to see on the news your father do this thing. Like I just I couldn't. But at the same time, I feel like you know he probably thought there was a a monster out there and he needed to make him disappear, man. Yeah, that's pretty. I mean, like I said, my dad. He was raised Catholic, and you know he believes in the Ten Commandments. I guess maybe other than the "don't cheat on your wife" one, but uh, you know, it. it I mean, it, it bothered him that he had killed a person, um, but it was almost like if he wouldn't have, he couldn't have lived with himself sure. for not doing it. He would have felt like a failure as a parent. And also, he was off his rocker. I mean, everyone sees it and they go, oh, yeah, wait, yo, go Gary. But Gary was pretty nuts at the time. Most people in their sane mind don't shoot someone 10 feet from a TV camera. Right, right. Yeah, he, he, he had complete reckless abandon when it came to uh, what his outcome I, would be, for sure. He didn't think he was making it out that night, so he didn't care. Yeah, he was just going to go avenge his son, which, you know, I, I don't know, man. Uh, my fiance is in the chat. She she wants to know did you did you go back to a uh, quote unquote normal life after all this? I mean, when you were a child, sports, uh, any of that kind of stuff, school. Uh, other than everybody going, you know, that's that's the kid that was kidnapped, and right. that's the guy that shot the guy. Other than that, yeah, I went back. I was a uh, my senior year. I was a four sport letterman. Um, I was the offensive MVP of our district in football. I was all district at second base in baseball. I was nominated for athlete of the year um, in the East Baton Rouge Parish, and I lost. And I address this in the book too, but I also lost to a classmate of mine who we had gone to school since seventh grade together, and uh, she ended up playing in five Olympics, playing volleyball in five Olympics. Wow. So that kind of that kind of softened the blow, knowing that yeah, she was a pretty good athlete. You know, it's funny. I uh, I was a wrestler. I wrestled for like fourteen years. It's, you know, my sport, I started when I was four years old and, uh, I, there's, uh, this family in my city where I'm from called the Unpingos. They had like 12 kids and they all wrestled all the girls, all the boys, everyone wrestled. And, uh, there was one Rosemary. She's 145 pounds senior when I was a freshman and I was, you know, 200 pounds. I wrestled one eighties and then got down to one sixties eventually. But she used to throw me around the mat all over the place, dude, just beat the shit out of me. Uh, and you know, it was kind of emasculating at the, at the time, but then she ended up like getting the first invite for women's exhibition wrestling in the Olympics. Like she was amazing. So, you know, it, it happens. <laughs> um, go ahead. Were you gonna say something? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, life just kind of almost went right back to normal. I yeah. mean, we had the, uh, you know, I mean, it was on the news, but I mean, that wasn't no big deal. I'd be riding a, in seventh grade. I'd be riding to school on the bus and we had a radio and be like, in the news today, Gary Ploche has a hearing and uh, they're going to be talking about the evidence on uh, his son being molested. I'm like, oh God. But, you know, the kids, they, I guess their parents sat them down and had a talk with them and said, hey, don't pick on Jody. Don't say nothing about that. Because really only one kid 
ever said anything to me. And that was a PE class. And he said, well, at least I wasn't effed in the booty by Jeff Doucette. And uh, that guy's in jail right now for child molestation. Oh, of course he is. Of course he is. <laughs> Fucker. I, uh, yeah. So, I mean, what, what was it like having the, the, the media hounding you and all that stuff, man? I mean, is, was it, was it that crazy? Immediately when a shooting happened, my mother loaded us up, loaded us, loaded us up and we went to Biloxi and stayed with my godfather for a week. So we got out of Dodge. So it, by the time we got back, it was pretty, you know, they knew we weren't talking. The judge had put a gag order that uh, we couldn't talk. So it just, you know, just life is normal. It just, yeah, I my- went back to playing sports. I mean, seventh grade, I'm playing football. Uh, I played on the basketball team. I was a starter in seventh grade in middle school. Uh, I played summer baseball. So, I mean, it just, it's, I just went back to being a, a normal 12, 13 year old. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and so, so your father passed away in 2014. I read, I read a little bit about that prior to, you know, uh, on his, he's got a Wikipedia page and stuff, but, uh, um, who do you think wrote it? (laughs) it, Was it you or you? So I'm reading your writing anyways. No, no. So somebody, somebody had written it and this is probably about over 10 years ago. He was still alive, but, uh, so I sat down one day and I, I, I fixed everything, everything that they had wrong. I fixed and uh, I called my brother and I said, hey, go read daddy's Wikipedia page. And he called me back. And he said, the one that kept calling me uh, while we're doing the interview, he called me up and he goes, oh, my God. He goes, it's like this person lived with us. I said, yeah, that's because I went and fixed everything. That was wrong. Because <laughs> he did live with us, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, I mean, prior, prior to his passing, I mean, did, did he ever show any like regret over what he did at all? Uh, I mean, there would be times where he might get drunk or something and get a little emotional and be like, I'm not a bad guy. Everybody thinks I'm a murderer and oh, they want me to be the hero. But I mean, so there were times when he would get like that, but I mean, it was, that wasn't that often. Sure. Sure. Well, I assure you that I don't know anybody who thinks he's a, a murderer. I, everyone that I know, uh, pretty much hells him as a hero. Uh, but like I said that, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting cause Nobody ever, you know, back then, I'm sure your story was being played on all the news channels, but now, you know, it's not like, it's not the main focus of the story and it should be, I mean, it really should be that, you know, this horrible thing happened and, uh, there's victims out there today and every day that are going through the same kind of thing. And, um, you know, I think the most inspiring thing of this whole story of this, of this terrible story is that you came out the other side, an advocate. Um, and, and interested in helping people. You've kept a joyful persona and everyone in the chat's talking about how full of joy you are. I think that's great. Um, you know, and, it, and it's true. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, you know, a lot of times, you know, maybe at least, at least half the time, uh, in situations like this, um, the person can't ever get over it. There's, you know, there's a high suicide rate. There's drug and alcohol abuse. I mean, how did you come out and become the man you are? Uh, I learned to properly use, not abuse alcohol. <laughs> no, sure, sure. Um, but, uh, no, a lot of people, yeah, they just, they're fed this story that once you're victimized, you can't overcome. And, and I don't like that narrative. Right. And I recently, after two years, got my first negative review on Amazon. And this woman, I think her name was Crystal. Um, y'all can go read it. And I own it. I mean, I put it on Facebook. I was like, Hey, y'all look, she didn't like it. <laughs> um, and she basically said that my book was just me bragging about how I overcame everything. And I'm like, why wouldn't I? Right. You know? And so, like I said, I owned it. I, I put it up on Facebook. I let people, uh, comment on it. And someone made a comment like, you know, Oh, Crystal can, you know, kiss off or something like that. I said, no, I said, look, I, I still respect what led, what trauma led Crystal to be interested in reading my book. And I'm, I'm actually bothered that she's not in a place to where she can appreciate the journey that I went through. Right. You know, cause obviously she hasn't made that journey or, or gone through that process and hopefully she gets there one day. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I mean, that's, you know, a lot of people do a lot of amazing feats. I think getting over what you went through and, and, uh, becoming the person that you've become today and, and helping the people, the, uh, I'm sure endless amounts of people that you've helped, uh, that's something that should be bragged about and should be talked about because it's going to help others learn how to do the same thing, right? Well, that's how it started. All right. So when I was 18, I got a phone call from a producer. Her name was Penny Price from the Geraldo Rivera talk show, daytime talk show. And uh, I looked at it as like a free trip to New York. Let's go. Let's right. go on a show. Let's, right. uh, you know, let's go get a free trip to New York. So me and daddy flew up to New York and we went and f- we filmed the show. And that was in April and the show aired in June. And then shortly after the show aired, I got a call from Mike Barnett, 
And he said, look, Jody, he goes, uh, I, this is going to be in the papers. It's going to be on the news. I want you to hear it from me first. He said, but we just arrested this pastor who had been molesting these two boys. And one of the boys saw you on Geraldo. And then he came forward after that. And that, that was the moment when I really realized, wow, I could take something bad that happened to me and hopefully turn it into something positive and, and make a difference for other people. And I received a letter from this woman after that uh, show aired. And that's when I was like, okay, I, I know what I want to do now. I want to let people know that they can survive. They can move past sexual abuse and they can be okay. It's a process and you got to work through it, but you can be, you can come through that other side. Hi kids. Do you like violence? Yes. Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is Down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. That's tsidpod.com. Com because the system is down and truth is taking over. Sure. So, so, I mean, so that was like the starting point for you. Like, I want to help people. I want to do this. Um, so what, what, what were the next steps after that for you, man? I mean, how did you end up, you know, sitting on these councils and, and getting these activist awards and stuff? So in 92, um, me and my friend decided, cause I had kind of shared with him. He's the one that wrote the forward. If you read the forward, yep. I kind of shared with Beautiful him. Beautiful forward, that, by know, the way. Beautiful. Absolutely. No, he did a good, he yeah. did a good job. Yeah. He's an excellent writer. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I had kind of shared with him my plans and my, my thought at the time was maybe open up a, a nonprofit for abused kids under, you know, the Jody Ploche center or whatever. And so I kind of shared with him my vision and, uh, he was like, all right, well, we gotta, we gotta volunteer. So we've started volunteering at this place in Dallas called the family place. And the family place is a battered women's shelter. Now I'm, I'm strictly sexual assault. Um, I try to stay away from domestic violence uh, from DV, but we were we were working with the kids. So uh, the mothers didn't really concern us. We didn't have anything to do with them. Um, you know, what, it, it would we'd take them to the movies or we'd go to Six Flags with them. So it was something like that. So we were positive male role models for these children. And we did that for a good while. And then I moved back to Baton Rouge in 94. I enrolled back in LSU that fall and I got into a, a service fraternity. We would do basically community service. We'd paint old classrooms. We took the blind kids to the skate and ring and we'd hold their hands and so the walk with them. Um, and that was a really cool organization. And that's where I met Lolo Hong and David Hexton. And that's how I ended up going to Men Against Violence. So uh, at LSU, I think it was 95, it kicked off. I was two years of Men Against Violence. And then I wanted to continue doing that at the time when i graduated from lsu my thought was maybe go do like be an educator for planned parenthood um you know not that i'm you know support abortion but it's i mean there's a lot more services than just abortion that planned parenthood provides and so i had really enjoyed my human sexuality class so i thought that that would be the direction i would go in but then one night i just came home i was on the computer and i typed in child sexual abuse prevention in a search engine on it was career path at the time and you could only select 10 cities to search from and i went with all the big ones la chicago new york philadelphia and i got a hit from the philadelphia Inquirer, and that's how i ended up in pennsylvania wow that's wild man what a, what a great story i just it's 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 one of those things man it's like you know it's it's such it's such an intensely horrible tragedy and then to turn it into something just so amazing and um i mean how many how many you know how many kids do you think that you've uh you've worked with oh i couldn't tell you um i, I couldn't even i couldn't even come up with a guess a i don't lot. know yeah I've, I've spoken to a lot of a lot of young kids and um and high school kids and college kids i mean college programs are my favorite sure um and a lot of times though the the problem with the the problem, I think ninth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade would probably be the best age to do these talks with them um, because they're getting to the point to where they're getting interested in the other sex. And that's when you start, you know, having the problems, you know, guys trying to get the girls drunk and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I think those are my discussions are, are really good with the, the high school and the, the college kids. And I, I would do a, an exercise. This was my favorite thing. And I would put on like the little st big sticky note. I would put uh, 
name four females. Then I'd say name seven males. And then I'd be like, uh, please put down three characteristics of a rape victim. Then give me three characteristics of a perpetrator. And then, you know, how would, if someone disclosed rape to you, how, what would you do? Those three things you might suggest. And before I'd put them in like groups of three or four. And I'm like, you're not working as a team. You're working as a group. Uh, or you're not, you're working as individuals within a group. So y'all all have to write those answers down. And I gave them a cup, like a little Dixie cup of water. And I said, keep this with you at all times. And whenever y'all are done going to each station, I'm going to say rotate, you go to each station and then you come back and then we'll have a discussion. And so they, they would go in their groups and they go to each station and I would walk around and I would go put food coloring in their water. Right. I was at lower Marion high school one time and that's, that's where Kobe Bryant went ironically enough. Um, and I went up to the kid, he wasn't looking, I put the, like the red food coloring in his water and he goes, Oh shit. Didn't even know. I just got, no, he goes, he goes, Oh shit. I just got date raped. So he knew what, what the, he figured out what the the lesson was. And I'm going to tell you right now, I would get over more than half of the class. I mean, right in front, front daylight. I mean, just in the middle. And so the lesson was, I didn't like spending time talking about, uh, Rohypnol or the quote unquote date rate drugs because alcohol is the number one date rate drug. And that's the point I was trying to put forward to them. You can watch your drink all night long, but if you keep drinking and keep drinking, you're going to put yourself at a, a high risk of being victimized. Right. So that was, and then I didn't have to spend time on it. I would just say alcohol is the number one date rape drug. And then boom, that was it. I'd mention Rohypnol GHB and I'd move on. Um, and then I would address each station. And then that the, the four girls is one in four, the stat at the time, one in four females, one in seven males. And so I'd have them circle one of them. So then it just put in their head. I'm not saying that the person you circle is the victim, but of those four people, odds are one of them has been a victim. Right. And so it just, it just gets home. And then you do a discussion with them. It's really good. Is uh, I would get them up and I'd say, right, if you agree with me, go this way. If you disagree, go that way. I'd go, it's unfair for someone to change their mind in the middle of sex. Right. Boys would go this way, girls would go that way, and I'd be like, okay, why? And man, because once you get started, man, you can't just stop. And I tell them, so like, all right, so you're in the middle of it. You're on the couch, y'all are in the middle of having sex, and you hear her daddy's car pull in the driveway. What are you gonna do? Hold on, pops. You know how this goes. I gotta finish. No, <laughs> you're you're gonna pull your pants up sure. and you're gonna jump out that back door. So don't give me this shit that you can't stop. And then I address it in a book. I, I kind of made it a little nasty in the book but i was like there could be a number of reasons why she says stop in the middle of sex one could be maybe she was victimized when she was young and maybe she had some kind of trigger some type of flashback i was like maybe all of a sudden y'all aren't using protection and she starts worrying about getting pregnant so she's like stop i said maybe it's as something simple as she has to take a shit i mean there's a number of reasons that's not just to torture you that they might say hey wait hold up Right. And I was like, you, no matter what the reason is, you have to respect that. And, and, it, and it created good discussion between the, the, the males and the females. So that, I really enjoyed the high schools and the colleges. Yeah, it's pretty wild, man. It's, it's wild to think about. And, and you know, I had uh, I, I had uh, uh, Eliza Blue on the show a couple weeks ago. She's a she's a survivor of human trafficking um, and uh, and is now a human trafficking advocate. Um, and and it's it's crazy to think like, you know. If if your own life isn't touched by it on a daily basis, you don't you don't really think about it. But this is a huge problem. I mean, the uh, you know like the situation you've been through, other other boys go through that to this day. It keeps happening, you know. And and uh, and then as they get older, you have these other issues like the stuff you're talking about in high school and all that. But I mean, has it has it not been like a like kind of a disheartening uh, um, job to do these things and hear about all these terrible situations happening all the time. I tell people all the time, I love what I do. I mean, I don't, obviously with COVID, I haven't been doing it, but I love traveling and I love uh, speaking in front of people, raising awareness. The only problem is the topic. Um, other than the topic, it's fun. I, I really enjoy getting out there. But I also, too, when I do a presentation, I share funny stories at the end so people don't want to go home and kill themselves. So, uh, like, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll share my my number one with your audience, okay? And this is in the book, so it's not a you know, it's not a secret I'm giving away. It's like people are like, oh, if I tell you, I gotta kill you. Now. <laughs> All right, so right after the whole church scandal happened, the Catholic church scandal in 02 happened, you know, I'm working at Victim Services Center, and I'm like, okay, our policy at Victim Services was we didn't discuss personal abuse. 
So if I went to a high school and one of the kids was like, were you ever victimized? My answer was due to the fact that a lot of people who have been victimized go in this type of work, it's against our company's policy to disclose. But when I was in college, I was in an organization called Men Against Violence, and we would go out and we would do these programs, and I just want to continue doing that. And that would satisfy their answer. Sure. Um, you know, so uh, traveling around, uh, telling the story. So uh, 2002, church scandal. I called my – well, I went to my boss, and I said, look, I understand we don't discuss personal shit, but, you know, I think I can help raise awareness and, and bring good publicity to the agency if you want to – talk with the board and see if it's okay to board. They were like, do it. That sounds good. So I called my friend at uh, CNN, Art Harris, and I said, hey, Art, you want to do a story on me? And he was like, sure. So he flew a crew up. Um, I had done a program at Villanova for this uh, teach. She's a professor at Villanova, but she was also a guidance counselor during the day at a school called Brook Elementary, which was about half a mile from where I lived in Royersford, Pennsylvania. So I contacted her and I said, look, can you give me one second grade class? I said, I, I'm doing a, a segment on CNN. I, they want to film me doing a presentation. I said, I like second grade because they're young and cute, but they're smarter than them first graders, but they're just as cute. And so she was like, um, I'll see. So she met with her principal, got permission. We had them all sign up like permission forms. And so the day of, I'm doing the presentation called Keep in Touch is Safe and Healthy. And uh, I've got the producer the correspondent, the cameraman, the sound guy, the guidance counselor, the teacher, and the principal all watching me do this program. Sure. And they're filming, and I know they're filming it for CNN. So I'm going through, and I talk about good touches, uh, touches that people like, that hugs and kisses and shaking hands and pats on backs. Then I talked about uh, unsafe touches or bad touches. These are punches and kicks and stuff that hurt people. And and then we have secret touches this is when a grown-up touches a child's private port for no good reason when this little boy raises his hand and i'm like i normally wouldn't have called on him but i, I honestly i succumbed to the pressure i was like okay you know what what and he goes he goes sometimes you can secret touch yourself <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i was like kid i'm 30 and single you don't have to tell me about that yeah <laughs> but so anyway, I was like, well, if you're touching yourself, it's not, not a secret. Like, I didn't know what to say. So I, I went through it. But yeah, for him to do that in front of all them people, sometimes you can secret touch yourself. I'm like, man. In front of CNN. Uh, I've perfected it, boy. Wow, man. That's wild, <laughs> dude. Wild. I, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine how to, how to talk, how to like answer that. It just it was the only thing I could think of. Yeah, just a thumbs yeah. up. Good job, buddy. Well, you'd also, you'd also get like, you know, who's someone you know and trust that you could uh, tell if anyone ever secret touches you? You get Santa Claus. You get sure. my dog. But so you got to go, well, you want to tell someone you see every day. I mean, they, so you got to play with it a little bit. But again, and it's funny because I did an uh, interview with uh, Lexis Linkletter for the First Degree podcast, and her great-grandfather was Art Linkletter, and he came oh. up with the show – uh, kids say the darndest things and mm. for years i've been using kids saying the darndest things as my example for leading into that discussion of kids saying the darndest things it's like me and my, my sister came to me and my niece was probably six five six years old seven years old and my sister came to me and she's like i kind of want to have that talk with mason well, you know what should i what should i tell her i was like well, i'll I tell you what i said go get her i said i'll do the whole program for her so we sit her down in front of me, and I'm going through good touches, bad touches, secret touches, uh, people you know and trust that you could tell. And I said, Mason, I said, if anyone ever secret touched you, who would you tell? And she said, Gigi. Well, Gigi's my dad. True. And I looked up at my sister. <laughs> I said, no, no, Mason. You, you, don't, you don't tell Gigi. <laughs> Whatever you do. That's the one motherfucker you keep in front of Gigi. Oh Jesus! Ah <laughs> oh, man, you know, I, I'd I, we all we all need a Gigi. <laughs> all of us, we all need one, man. I'm a you know I'm a big fan. I uh, I think your dad's a hero, man. I think you're a hero. I think this the work that you do is is absolutely heroic after what you've been through, brother. Uh, but what you got, what you got coming on uh, up next, man? What what else you got going on for you? I got a a little local spot where i'm gonna do uh my brother had done this little local show and uh, i got that coming up wednesday night and then uh i got a we I signed up with a, a production company and we've teamed up and we're trying to pitch the book to become a documentary and a, a feature film and so they're working on that um it's not going like i hoped sure but you know 
you, met, you know, all the uh, stories of pedophiles in Hollywood, it doesn't surprise me they've ever done the story where the guy gets off from killing the pedophile. Yeah, they don't want to put they don't want to put that out there, man. These these pedophiles they in, don't, in Hollywood, they, dude. They don't want to glorify it, so I'm gonna start putting the pressure on them. I think I'm start calling them all pedophiles if they don't do the film. Hey, I already call them all pedophiles, whether they do the film or not, buddy. I uh, no, I uh, you know I was gonna ask you if anybody from like Lifetime ever reached out to try to like a TV movie about any of this shit, or was it just too dark? My my friend Art Harris. I mean, there were a few times I quote unquote deputized him to go shop my story around, and uh, I want to say there was two years where he did that, and. He's like, oh, time is got to be timing, got to be timing. I'm like, yeah, Ellie Nessler kills the guy who molests his, her son, and she goes to jail. They did the Ellie Nessler story. Elizabeth Smart, she gets kidnapped, and her daddy don't do nothing. They do three shows on yeah, her. There's, all, there's quite a few uh, know, media pieces out there about that, man. But but to get the guy that got off, uh, they stayed away from that. Even though Even though people are still talking about my dad 37 years later on – Twitter, even though every time he goes viral, it's millions of views, they won't touch it. That's just bizarre, man. It's the it's the fucking the Hollywood pedophiles, man. It's got to be. I hate them. It's it's got to be. Our government, you know, our looked, our government and media is just absolutely controlled by by pedophiles. There's no doubt about and it. They, and you know what's funny is they do a there's a book written about a black girl being raped by two white males. And that movie gets made. Sure. You know, I'm not, for those who don't know what I'm talk, talking about, I'm talking about a time to kill by John Grisham. Right. But yeah, he was, he was able to change it up enough to where, you know, it ain't glorifying a guy killing a pedophile. Right. And I intentionally, in my book, I quote, and I mentioned a time to kill my ethics teacher in college told me I should sue John Grisham. He's like, you really, you should sue. Him. I was like, that's my ethics teacher. But I think, I'm like, nah. I think I want to help you. Uh, I want to help you try to find a way to shop this movie, and then uh, and then hold pedophiles in Hollywood accountable if they don't make it. I'm gonna find uh, a way to do that. Well, like I said, my my business my business partners are doing it. They just sent me an email right right before you sent me one earlier today, talking about the different uh, companies that have turned it down to to do a pitch for the documentary. And if you see our pitch deck. And our our little sizzle we got going, it's really good. Like yeah. put it this way, I lived it, and when I watched it the first time, I was like, I want to see this. Yeah, it's a it's so. a it's one of those stories, man. I mean, and and like I said in the beginning, you know, it's we all know the story of Gary. I think the story of Jody needs to be told, and and people need to hear it and understand that there's more to it than the the phone booth incident, man. Well, let let me just say this too. And if you and if you have, let's say you read the book. If you read the book, you're like, I saw the documentary. I've read the book. What I need to see the documentary for. But there's stuff that I did not include in the book that will be in the documentary. So uh, don't think that we didn't save something. And I and and I wasn't that I saved it. It was just not my place to tell. Sure. Sure. Well, man, I'm a fan, uh, fan of your family. You obviously have a very heroic family, uh, and. but give one pitch for the book. What's the book? Why should people buy the book? Where can they buy the book? All right, you can go to Amazon and you can buy the book for it sells twenty dollars. I think I think like it's eighteen seventy seven right now. But I mean it's, it's listed as twenty dollars or nineteen ninety nine. Uh, the Kindle version is nine ninety nine. So uh, you can get the Amazon paperback or you can get the Kindle version through Amazon. Now, if you want a signed copy and you live in the United States. You can email me. I just put in an order for 25 more books. So you can email me and PayPal or Venmo me 25 bucks. The extra five bucks is for the shipping and handling. Um, that way you can get a signed copy. So either either one. Um, but the one thing I'll say about my book, and, and sometimes I'll sign this, I will guarantee this will be the best book on child rape, kidnapping, and murder you have ever read. No shit. No shit. And and like I said before the show, I haven't had time to make it through the whole book. I, I definitely skimmed it. I've read several chapters. I, I would if 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 you want to do me a favor, it won't take you long. I know you got a bunch of kids and you're, you know, just now getting your pretend like you're moving a little wrong. Just read the last three chapters. I because I, because I, I realized at the last three chapters that I wasn't done. Right. I thought I was done. And I was like, I haven't mentioned anything after 1985. So I was like, I got to let people know daddy died. And so, and then that's where I talk about the Dallas Cowboys. So I, I think you'll enjoy that last three chapters. Hey man, I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan, brother. Absolutely. 100%. Hey, the book is called why Gary, why Jody, you're the man. I, I, I cannot tell you enough how much I appreciate the, the joy and the work that you do and, uh, your family. And I'm just, I'm just absolutely happy that you chose to came on, come on. Uh, thank you again, brother. 
I'm, I'm glad you had me on. And look, anytime, if you need anything, need another uh, uh, guest or another topic, you know, uh, I like to cook. I'm at the Cajun Ninja today. Oh, dude. Hey, I also like to cook, man. It's like my therapy, do, bro. Do you know who the Cajun Ninja is? I don't know. Oh, he's got an f- incredible YouTube channel. All right. So uh, I, I'm working for my friends. I'm helping them out. They have a, a meat, like a specialty meat store with stuffed chickens and steaks and, you know, pork, stuffed pork tenderloins. And uh, the Cajun Ninja just came out with a season. He has a YouTube channel. And five years ago, he made a chicken and sausage gumbo. Okay. And he got 45 million views on that video on a chicken and sausage gumbo. And so he kind of blew up. True. And so he, he's very, very popular. And hey, he's a, he's a Louisiana guy. He's nice as can be. Uh, but yeah, I like to cook. So if you want to, if you're ever doing like something with cooking, maybe we can get the Cajun Ninja on and then we can Dude, talk I, about gumbo and seafood. I support it. We can do, we can do a special, we can do a special cooking show. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I just finally got around to, to going to Louisiana for the first time in 2017, man. It's a really cool place and the food is fucking phenomenal. Where'd you go? I went to New Orleans. I'm guessing New, New Orleans. Orleans yeah. yeah, I actually went twice. I went 2017 and 2018. It was uh, I I sit on the Libertarian Party's national committee, and so I was there for um, uh, uh, the Louisiana State Convention of, of the Libertarian Party, and then we had our national convention there in in 2018. And I was running for chairman of the party, so I I uh, I got to go twice, man, and I had a fucking blast. But the first time I went there, I showed up, and WrestleMania was in town. And I couldn't find a hotel because I went on like a last minute's notice, and I ended, st- ended up staying in the French Quarter uh, at this like little rundown like motel where there's like people like overdosing in the lobby and shit. It was fucking rough, dude. <laughs> All right, so you, you uh, I know you got to go. No, I'm, no, I'm, we're good, I'm, man. Go ahead. But I got, I got, a, I got a good story for you. So a couple weeks ago, I had done an interview with this other guy uh, who had a podcast, and uh, he sends me a text message. He goes, "Have you seen?" the dark side of the ring about Jake, the snake Roberts. Oh dude. And, and I was like, no, he goes, you need to watch it. I said, I'll watch it today. So that day I went and I watched, have you seen it on Peacock TV? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I watched some of it. It's like, it's a series, okay. right? Not, well, yeah. Where his yeah, dad, yeah. but Jake, the snake Roberts dad, right. it was like this child molester, molested him, molested his brother, molested his sister, molested the whole family, molested the neighbors. He just molested everybody came with but he was like big dude right. and he was like kind of the promoter so these people had to put up with his shit that so i watched that and i was like you know what i said i want to get jake the snake roberts a book so i went online and i googled jake the snake roberts to see if there's like a dot com or how to contact me i guess kind of like maybe you did me sure. so i'm looking for information on jake the snake roberts. i'm going to twitter i'm going to instagram and uh i get a jake at jake the snake roberts.com email address it's it's a dead link and so i was like well let me reach out to his sister well, no, no, no. All right, so here's what happened. So then my brother, the one that likes calling me, that called me twice, he called me up and I said, I said have you seen this Jake the Snake Roberts documentary? I was like, you got to check it out. It's really good. He goes, I'll check it out. He goes, his sister and brother came to my show. He plays music. He goes, they came to my show a couple of years ago because I got a picture with him and everything. Oh, wow. I, I was like, where? He goes, in Denham Springs. That's the town just outside of Baton Rouge. I'm like, in Denham Springs, and, and both of these people were on the documentary. His sister was Robin Robert, uh, Rock and Robin, and his brother was Sam Houston. And so he goes, "Yeah, Sam Houston and Rock and Robin, they were at my show." I'm like, "Well, I know you're telling the truth because I never knew Jake the Snake Roberts had a sister." And so he's like, "No, no." So I was like, "Well, let me find out about Jake the Snake's sister." Turns out she went to high school in Baton Rouge. She lives in Baton Rouge. Oh shit! So we met up, and I gave her a copy of the book. That's so cool, man. How cool! But is she that? was going. To- she was going out of town and she uh she printed it up because I sent her a digital copy because yeah. I knew we weren't gonna be able to meet up and give her a physical copy. And she printed it up. She said she was reading it on a plane and people were like, Oh, did you write a book? And she's like, No, I'm just reading it. She printed it up on, on regular paper. And she was nice as can be. I mean, she was a wonderful, wonderful person. Very, very nice. That's awesome. I'm a big I'm a big wrestling fan. I and uh I've I've actually been watching The Undertaker's Last Ride, which is on Peacock too. It's like a series about that they he finally like it's you know, unmasked and showing his real life and stuff. It's wild, man. If you, if you've been an undertaker fan ever in your life, it's a good, it's a good one. Uh, but did, I mean, did, did you get to the part in my book where I was talking about my sister when she fought stormy Daniels? I, th- I think that's right where I stopped right around where I stopped reading. That's in uh what chapter, what chapter is that? Like, that's like, like my, my family, like the, I, I think it's called my family. But anyway, yeah. I mentioned, uh, Coco Samoa and the junkyard dog. Oh, Those were like two of our favorite, favorite, uh, favorite wrestlers growing up. So, I was like, yeah, that's cool. So Jake the Snake Roberts' sister gets to read that I was a wrestling fan growing up. And so, you know, my grandmother, she used to sell jewelry to Sylvester Ritter. And if you're a a true wrestling fan, you know who Sylvester Ritter is. 
he's better known as the junkyard dog. Yeah. And so I thought I was so cool when I was like seven, eight years old, because my grandmother knew the junkyard dog <laughs> and I knew the junkyard dog's name was Sylvester Ritter. I thought I had some information that no other kid had and I thought I was shit. Yeah, I, I was a big uh, junkyard dog fan. I, I I recently started going back and looking at all my like childhood WWF uh, heroes, and I was very sad to find that most of them are dead. Yeah, it's funny too because I never knew that about Jake Roberts, and I I knew that he went off on on drugs and was yeah. just kind of what done like he was just done as a person right yeah. and watch it yeah watching that documentary i was like well that explains why it makes sense you know it makes sense why he was such a train wreck yeah but yeah but there's a lot of them i think a lot of them uh you know they had these really early heart attacks because of the because of the back in oh, back the in the steroids 80s and, oh the steroids and all that yeah they were the wrestlers were a mess it's not a good longevity <laughs> yeah no absolutely but, not man but and then there was a lot with mental illness of course chris benoit famously killed his whole family and himself and i was a big chris benoit fan so um you know it's my, it's rough my favorite moment was uh the iron sheik and hacksaw jim duggan getting caught in the hotel room smoking weed that's all that was cool dude that's, that's my that's my school. favorite wrestling moment these were the two biggest adversaries you know you had the oklahoma big john stud with the, or you know whatever hacksaw jim duggan and then you know he's representing american and you have the iron sheik who's iran he's iranian he's muslim uh, and then you think they hate each other but meanwhile they're traveling from show to show together and getting high <laughs> and of course they're both of them are still alive hacksaw jim duggan yeah. and the iron cheek and if you don't follow the iron cheek on twitter you have to go follow the iron cheek follow the iron cheek yeah he's the funniest dude on twitter he literally just pops on and says fuck you all and then takes off like all the time it's hilarious <laughs> i don't know i don't know what's going on with that old man but he is hilarious hey uh before we go i want to address some of these super chats Michael Ravel, uh, member for three months. Thanks a lot, bro. He said he just ordered the book for his wife and I. They have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. This shit terrifies him more than anything. He appreciates your victim advocacy. Uh, level zero, $5 super chat. Thanks, man. He said, thank you, Jody, for this openness about all this. Uh, definitely picking up your book. Shannon Lee, $5 super chat. Thank you. She said, thank you for sharing your story and being an advocate. And your dad is a motherfucking hero. Thank you for missing your game for us. Awesome. Awesome. Um, but yeah, man, I, like I said, I'm a big fan. I'm definitely going to be hitting you up for the signed, the signed copy. I want the signed copy for my, my shelf back here, if that's all right with you. Uh, where, where, Brian, where, me... where can people follow you, support you, all that great stuff? Well, I see you got my Twitter handle going, but uh, someone reached out on Twitter to me the other day. Uh, some professor at the University of Massachusetts Lowell uh, wants me to do like, his, like one of these for his class, which in another uh, – old co-worker she's a teacher she wants me to do like a little zoom thing to talk about writing a book but uh my, uh, uh jody ploche facebook you can go uh at j ploche twitter um website too right no jody ploche.net yeah that's where you can see the unedited version of the shooting and uh again it's got all my email addresses and links and i'm i'm the easiest person to find yeah i'll, I'll get if that you, if you can't get in touch with me you can't get in touch with nobody yeah i'll get i was i was you know i was happy to find a way to reach out to you brother uh like i said i i wanted to know more about the story and i think you really laid out a lot here and i I think everyone's going to be happy. We'll definitely have to do some more shows, man. Maybe, maybe we'll uh, we'll we'll figure out some kind of we'll do like a Christmas cooking special. That might be fun, dude. Well, like some demonstrations or something. Yeah, something, man. Hey, uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. Like I said, I'll I'll, I'll get back to you about uh, getting this book signed. I definitely want that copy, and I'll get your uh, your website up in the link uh, in the description here, so people can check out that video and all your other links and stuff. And when you do, when you read the last three chapters, text me and let me know what you think. I'm okay, curious. I will. I got your phone number, brother. Hey, thanks again. Right. Thanks again for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Y'all yeah, have a good night. You too. All right, guys. Go check Jody's book out, uh, Why Gary Why. It's going to chronicle all this stuff, um, much much more detail than we could get into in the hour we had here. But it's, it's a great book of what I've read. I can't wait to finish it. Definitely going to read those final three chapters tomorrow uh, while I'm at work and, uh, and give Jody uh, a call. But go follow him. Support the man. I mean, he's doing the Lord's work. Seriously. I mean, he really is uh, doing great work. Hopefully we can get that movie made. Uh, and, and if not, then we have a, uh, more ammo for the pedophiles in Hollywood. Cause you know how much I hate those people, uh, guys, before we go tomorrow on the show, I'm gonna have Drew Hancock on the show, uh, returning the show to make up for the recorded show that was supposed to come out while I was at Disney world. 
uh, but we only got like nine minutes recorded for some reason. I don't know what happened. It's my bad. I, I boomered the tech. I know you're all shocked, uh, but Drew will be back on the show. We love Drew. It's going to be a great show. Uh, Wednesday, I'm still working on booking the show. Uh, on Thursday, Reed Coverdell will come on to talk about him being banned from Twitter again, and uh, and probably because the pedophiles of Twitter. And uh, and on Friday, you will have another Top Lobster, Joshua Smith, Break the Cycle, cycle episode. So it's going to be a great week. I hope you guys will stick around. Uh, go check out our sponsors, of course, toplobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend, my good friend and partner on Break the Cycle, where you can get this great Dr. Ron Paul for Congress 1974 hoodie that I'm, or uh, t-shirt that I'm wearing tonight by using BTC at checkout for a 10% discount, or you can become a member of the Patreon, the subscribe star, or the uh, 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 YouTube channel, become a member there, and you can get into a private Discord server where you can get all of Top Lobster's new hand-drawn uh, gear up to two weeks before it goes to the general public at like a 30% discount. Great stuff. I promise you it's worth it. And of course, executive producers of the show, AnthemPlanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check them out today. See what they can do for your business, home, or personal life. They're doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at. Much cheaper and much more efficiently. Seriously, if you guys own a business or you know somebody owns a business or you got family members that own a business, go tell them about Anthem Planning. Uh, let's let's hype them up, man. They're good people. Uh, we had Amy Lepore on the show. She's the owner. She's amazing. Uh, I promise you they're all above board and they're going to do something great for you. I'll see you tomorrow night, man. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be doing five shows a week. I know we had to uh, take a couple off last week, but this week we'll have five shows uh, and we're back into the swing of things. Uh, thank you guys so much for sticking with me, uh, through my vacation for my family. Uh, thanks for coming and checking out the show tonight. I know that some of the topics were a little rough, uh, for everyone to digest, but as a father, I think there are things that people need to hear and need to prepare, prepare for, uh, but I'll see you tomorrow for the show with Drew Hancock until then. Don't forget to break the cycle. to explain the lyrics of my last song they seem to contain a violent call to action in the personal frame but i just spent it in minecraft the helicopter part was in reference to gta 5 and the things you do so any violence you commit i am not an excuse because i just spent it in minecraft but Chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold Accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just meant it in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless this bill process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft you're nothing I mean, you know it Your product is pissing close to COVID Holy shit, I think I'm poor